Hi, I'm Alan Stolberg. Uh, welcome to the Revival Cycles Handbuilt Podcast. We're calling it that for now. We might change the name later. Uh, I am the uh, chief designer, CEO, founder of Revival Cycles, and we're we've decided to record a few of our conversations, uh, and hopefully it'll turn into something worth listening to. To my right here is. Uh, I'm Stefan Hurdle, and I am the head engineer and co-founder of Revival Cycles. Uh, when I'm not sitting around growing facial hair, I'm usually uh, helping the guys figure out how to make bikes and doing some engineering to make shit work right. To Stefan's right. Uh, Andy James, also Andy James Dio. Uh, I am the head fabricator here at Revival, uh, which means that I am a sheet metal shaper, a welder, and a bit of a sculptor a general badass a bit of a jack of all trades so we're all we've realized that when we uh we sit around in the shop sometimes maybe it's our therapy but this is a good excuse for us to sit down together and kind of uh record the conversation see where it goes and and bring in guests and mentors and people that we know that that we think have something definitely to offer to to those that might want to listen to it our first guest we sat down with uh, during the Handbuilt Show, which is a really busy time for us because we put the show on here every year. Uh, but during a party that we were having here at the sh- at the shop uh, after the show, we sat down with our, our first guest. And if you don't know who he is, you soon will. Revival Cycles Podcast number one. Today we have our very first guest and probably the, the best we'll ever have, <laughs> Paul Dolan. <laughs> Someday you will learn how to pronounce my say name. It, can say can it, we say it, Paul? Paul Dolan. Paul Dolan. That's pretty Paul good. Paul Dolan. And the reason we want to say that is because, as everyone in the motorcycle world knows, the vintagent, which is Paul Dolan. <laughs> Dude, I can't say it. I'm just not French. <laughs> this is going to be that kind of fucking podcast. Is uh, is is the the infamous Paul, uh, the vintagent, who is the authority on all things vintage motorcycles and beyond. He's also the uh, design editor. Uh, I believe it's dot design and custom editor. Custom and style. Stu- custom and style editor for and, Cycle and World magazine. I was going to say an all around stylish gentleman. And stylish gentleman. Hence the title. And he's here for the handbuilt show, hence the sound of the party going on in the background, if you can hear it. Uh, and we decided to sit down with Paul for our first episode. I'm honored. Welcome, Paul. I'm. I'm. This is great. We've I got love podcasts. Uh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is a sound exploder. So if we can reach that level, level, I'm like super happy. Well, we'll see I what think, we can do. I think Stefan's is Savage Love, by the way. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> well, Dan is amazing. <laughs> so you've you've heard now. Stefan Hurdle is in the room otherwise known as Beardy Troll, and Andy, uh, Andrew James, uh, Andy James Dio. Andy James Dio Esquire. Uh, which <laughs> which is yeah, the third. A beardless, beardless Andy our, James Dio. Our fabricator here at Revival, and definitely the peanut gallery, I, I think, of most things. <laughs> We're already going ahead and say that Travis is running the board and going to hopefully make us not sound too bad. A.K.A. Smoking Bell. Smoking Bell. Um, so, Paul... How was your handbuilt show, 2016? Oh man, my throat is tired from talking so much. Is I that mean, what it was? Talking? Yeah, basically it is. For me, it's like the the major schmooze fest. Although I sold three of my prints, you I'm you, super you didn't happy. Even tell me that. I'm That's super awesome. happy. No yeah. wonder you got that no, snazzy that, new jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just concluded the sales this afternoon. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's well, great. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. You didn't sell the one in the middle, did you? No, sir. That's right. that's for you. Okay, because that's the one I want. Perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I was exhibiting my uh, my prints from my tin types, and uh, otherwise, I was just standing around talking to people for ten hours a day, wow. something like that, wow. uh, on a concrete floor. So my ankles and my knees are racked, and uh, I made a lot of really good connections. And uh, you know, it's great to catch up with everybody who comes to this show from all over the country, all over the world, Colombia, Mexico, 
Yeah, South Africa. South Africa. I didn't yeah. meet the South yeah, Africa. South Africa. Brought a motorcycle too. Nobody from Europe yet, though, right? <laughs> and we had David Boris last year, but uh, yeah, he didn't have. A oh no, that's uh, well. Dimitri Cost came out. Yeah, that was yeah, definitely he was just But as a builder with no, a no, bike, no. Yeah. I mean, they, they would he wouldn't have come out if there wasn't a hand built show. So yeah, for sure. You definitely get credit. <laughs> For the, well, and, and you're from the other side of the planet, too, right? <laughs> San Francisco, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's another, as, te, as Austin is an island in Texas, San Francisco is an island in America. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, we, uh, thanks for coming, Paul. Uh, I guess we, we, we do have a topic in mind. Uh-oh. But yeah, so could have warned me. <laughs> what, what are we going to talk about I think about it's better today? that way, Paul. I have, Honestly. A, I have a topic I'm probably going to throw on a few people. Um, it really... You know, the, the point of the whole podcast was to kind of share what what we do is sit around and talk about as, as, as guys that are into motorcycles uh, and, and we are blown away with the stuff we're learning. And every day we figure out what we really, really don't know. And so having guys like you that we kind of consider and I've looked up to for years since before we met is like the authority on so much. And I, I like to say when I talk about you that Paul's forgotten more than than I'll ever learn <laughs> um, about motorcycles. But. One thing we know is a universal among all the people that we've gotten to meet that are that are knowledgeable and successful and whatever is that they fuck up, <laughs> and and when they fuck up they learn a lot, and so the topic that that I think it was Stefan that came up with this when we were on one of our epic road trips, that said that one of the topics should be how have you fucked up and what did you learn from it, and we could call it something more eloquent, but no I think, no I yeah, like that no, it's, that's keep pretty it to the point yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and what and what did you learn from? And it could be pertaining to motorcycles, hopefully. But if it doesn't, that's okay too. Well, on that's your path. obviously a multifaceted. You know, the the possibilities are endless. Right, exactly. Because if you can't come up with something from that. Then you know, real life career and having uh, an internet presence all you know give you opportunities, ample opportunities, <laughs> to uh, show your backside to the world. So uh, yeah, I mean, motorcycling for sure learned a lot the hard physically hard way pushing a rigid frame motorcycle way too hard on an off camber corner with gravel yeah yeah that's uh that's a fuck up it's a simple <laughs> one yeah i've done that a couple of times my little ktt beautiful little 33 ktt has like perfectly symmetrical dings on each side of the tank and tears on each side of the saddle for both times i did that trick on different um, corners. Right? I, I like that you call it a trick, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of like more what I do professionally, I, I think of one glaring example that taught me a lot about the internet and um, and the power of the internet and how people think about sort of mass mind and mob mind that that's talked about sometimes with the internet. Uh, I, it was actually the um, I think it was the first Wheels and Waves show that was that was uh called such it was like 2012 right uh and it wasn't Biarritz but it wasn't in the same location it was at the Chateau Brindos which is a little bit inland very nice place but anyway um someone was doing a fashion shoot there and there was a young lovely young woman wearing uh an original Vivian Westwood uh sex shop t-shirt the Vivian Westwood's first shop was called sex uh, and the T-shirt was, you know, like a prototype of what would become the Sex Pistols T-shirt because she, uh, because the Sex Pistols didn't exist yet. Right. Her husband Malcolm McLaren hadn't formed the Sex Pistols, but they were already doing really obnoxious, like uh, Tom of Finland drawings on T-shirts and stuff like this. Anyway, so I took a photograph of this girl, and her and the T-shirt had a big swastika on it, and I put it on my Facebook Vintage page. And made a comment about, you know, here's a vintage Vivian Westwood T-shirt because she's an icon of mine. I mean, politically, aesthetically, artistically, Vivian Westwood is an amazing. Well, I think she's recently been like knighted or or made an OBE, whatever happens to, you know, women (laughs) in Britain. (laughs) (laughs) She's I think she's Dame now or something, which is Dame. I like that. Really kind of amazing given where she started, you know, with a husband who was a situationist, anarchist, provocateur. And she was his partner, make it happen person who's finally gotten her due. So I think about her in a very specific way. But people who saw that on my my on the on the Internet were outraged, you know, and uh, I I made a big mistake 
uh, in bringing up the Buddhist context of a, a swastika, you know, which is like the wrong thing to do. And yeah. it's kind of like throwing water on a gasoline fire. <laughs> it does not have the intended effect. Right, you're and, trying to talk uh, down this 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 thing that has been reassigned. It, yeah, it to didn't, something totally different. Well, right? I mean, it the, didn't the matter. reality is that nobody on the internet is really like using logic or reason. Like, it is just this kind of freight train of once there's inertia going in one direction, you're just going off that cliff. And right. it, no one's saying, oh wait, 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 isn't that's not going to do it? If you even come back to try and explain, like, hey, what we're really looking at is the symbolism here, or this is what I'm interested in. It's lost on ninety percent of the internet. So, right. yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely what I learned. And, uh, you know, I tried to I, I made some defense which seemed rational to me, which was, number one, it's a historic piece of fashion. It's meant to be provocative. And, you know, just because some madman hijacked the symbol for 15 years, a 5000 year old symbol. Wouldn't it be nice if this was rehabilitated? But apparently we're not ready for that. <laughs> and uh you know, I, I pulled it off. It was act, but it was one of the scariest like things that's ever happened to me. I've had guns pointed at me, and I was less scared than I was with just the feeling of mob mob violence that was inherent in what people were writing. So that was uh, it was a real lesson to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I would think that it would actually be kind of an eye opener to the fact that your audience is large and powerful. Right. And, and I, you tend to think that you're just writing and posting this thing on your on your quote unquote blog, which really is just your stump. And you hit a you hit a, a button and, and, and it seems innocuous. But there's a lot of people that are hanging on your words. And, I think you have to be really a kind of megalomaniac to to be a writer and think you have an audience because writing is super is a really solitary experience. You know, I'm just digging in myself for you know inspiration based on my experience and you know people st people say things like that that i have a big audience and i see the numbers you know on on various pages and sites and but it, i just don't get it at all it's like not integrated into my personality <laughs> i'll admit <laughs> you know? i'll admit when we met yeah i was completely uh shocked of course we were we it was at jay leno's garage and you um walked in with your loafers or something and your 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 pants folded up and my Louboutin spiked loafers right. is that what you mean i think that <laughs> might have been that, yeah. yes i yeah. remember the outfit yeah. yeah you remember that and, and that was like you know five years ago and and um i remember you'd been there for a while and i said who, who the fuck is that guy <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed you, that Paul knew what he was wearing. That's, oh, to me, that's uh, amazing. Uh, Andy, this is Paul. I know. Right. I should, Paul, I should yeah. understand that. The vintage. But, but, yeah, we probably could spend the next hour just having you recite your wardrobe from the last, like, 30 days. And you could probably really boring. Uh, yeah, true. We won't do that, but it's possible. Podcast with Paul all about fashion in his, in his outfits. Let's talk about shoes. Can we yeah. talk about shoes? <laughs> so I bought this one pair. It was fucked. <laughs> up you know I, half a size too small they only made one um i no. even bought a revival i'm wearing a revival uh item from your shop plug 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 well, shameless plug it, you know in truth it's 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 a mr freedom piece but yeah yeah it was one that we what i love about out. it speaking of you know like political statements is uh mr freedom replicates vintage clothing that that they find and this was a vietnam era anti peacenik military jacket and they did a beautiful job replicating the uh it was originally painted, but they embroidered the kind of anti-bomb imagery on it. I, cool. I loved it. Yeah. yeah, when I saw it, I was like, "We have to have that." And yeah. I can't. I still don't know if I can rock it. But I definitely thought of you the day <laughs> the day it arrived. I was like, "Paul will love this." Anyway, so, so go ahead. I was going to say, with Paul sitting in the room, makes me think of small fuck ups. Oh and yeah. All right. Specifically, uh, the quail last year. Uh huh. Wait. And oh, you're talking about your fuck up. Uh, oh, no, yeah. I'm talking about a small fuck up. Both Paul and I, which I'm not what remembering. Was, oh my god! Well, so, it, so it was actually very, very time. perfectly set, timed. Set the stage, Andy. Uh, yeah. So we're we're at the Quail, which, which uh, if you tell. don't, if you're not familiar, uh, the Quail is a is a very lovely event in Carmel, California, at a golf course. Uh, Paul uh, could probably play it better since he's the MC. Yeah. What's the Quail? What's <laughs> what the else, Quail? Paul? Tell us it's about the Quail. The Quail Paul, motorcycle gathering, and it's put on by a fellow named Gordon McCall who used to be a Pebble Beach guy and was um, 
you know, he started out at 15 or 13, like washing cars that were going on into the concourse at Pebble Beach. And he just sort of total bootstrap story, you know, eventually kind of broke away from Pebble and started his own show, the Quail Motorsports Gathering, which is in August. And then he's about, it was 2008, no, 2009, uh, he uh, started the Quail Motorcycle Gathering because he's also a major motorcycle enthusiast. And uh, it's a really he was really smart and just started small and didn't push this event so at first it was like kind of a club event and then every year it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and I do MC the show which is fun I but I don't remember this incident at all you, know, been, you, don't, you don't remember that's great I, I think it's important to establish that he just talked about a very nice golf course civilized motorcycle literally it's catering. called a, it's called a gathering yeah. and then we show up and, and <laughs> just, to, just for Texas reference hoodlums. Yeah. For reference, I mean, I was actually wearing a suit and tie. Not yeah, that you, you could were. see my tie and, behind my beard, but a, it was there. And a vintage Armani suit at that. True. Yeah. We we showed up with our A game, but it was still hard. But go ahead, Andy. I'm listening. Well, okay. So, if you don't know, part of the part of the quail gathering is a ride, at which goes to Laguna Seca. Oh, right. Okay. My, now I remember. My, my, yeah. <laughs> my fuck up is uh, we oh. showed up late. And the bike that I was to be riding, I actually siphoned uh, probably about three quarters of a gallon of gas out of the tank to fill another bike. And I siphoned a little too much fuel. I ran out of fuel coming up the hill going into Laguna Seca. <laughs> oh, that's right. Small fuck up. <laughs> right. Freaked me out because I thought I wasn't going to get to ride Laguna Seca. And this is really, this is, we're going on what, 150 mile pre ride before the quail. <laughs> and we are three, yeah. four miles in. Yeah. Right. We're yeah. three or four miles in. Yeah. Uh-huh. Prepare. Um, but so the sort of redeeming part, the part that uh, I enjoyed that was actually kind of nice is as the bike had run out of gas on the hill, realizing that there's no way I'm going to push it the rest of the way up the hill. Who do I see walking down the hill, coming the other way? Paul. Paul. Do you want to tell me what you were looking for, Paul? Sorry, you should say the Vintagent. The Vintagent. Yeah, the main jet had fallen out of my carburetor. The, the little nut that holds the main jet under the TT carburetor of my six, 1960 Velocette Clubman had fallen out. So, okay, so how many And people I wasn't have, carrying a spare. Right, because most people always carry a spare main jet. And for, how many people have ever, ever looked for a main jet on the road? I mean, talk about a needle in a haystack. And so, so that's the funny thing is, is while I'm waiting for the sag wagon, Paul and I are combing probably a half a mile of asphalt looking for a main jet. Yeah, which which was which was way good because I don't remember what I was riding. I think I might have been on my Le Mans or something. And I come up the hill and Paul's parked on the side of the road, and I go, "What's what's wrong, Paul?" And there's fuel just gushing out of his carburetor because the main jet's gone he goes the main jet fell out and i went huh that's see rough. ya, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> sucks for you i'm gonna go ride laguna <laughs> looks like i only got one seat here but so. you guys <laughs> totally redeemed your i mean you redeemed my trip because you let me ride one of your bikes i rode the uh, harley I totally uh, forgot that. That's you forgot that? Went. No, you. Yeah, you yeah. I mean, I was sitting there, you know, big tears welling up in my eyes because it was all over. Lower lip quivering, you know. <laughs> but you, you said, "Hey, why don't so, you ride this Harley?" Is that so, when we became two up on someone else's bike? Is that when that happened? Uh, that was after the first lunch stop, or maybe the first winery stop, or something like that. And I jumped on the back of a former editor of Cycle World's bike and David handed Edwards, off right. uh, da- David Edwards. Edwards yeah. And handed off uh, the bike I was on, J63, the Ducati that's got the silver tank and all the fantastic everything. Handed that off to Paul just so you could have a taste of what that was like. And we didn't make it more than, what, maybe two miles before we got to witness Andy fucking oh, so, up so one more time? So now we're going to talk about big fuck-ups. Yeah. The <laughs> first one was well, kind of a I, little I one. wanted to hear the end of... Then what did what did we do with Paul's bike? How was he getting around? No, no, the uh, that was went the on the sag wagon. It went on the sag wagon. Yeah, but, I, then, but I'm going to interrupt all of you then and uh, and tell you about the ride I had on the Harley around Laguna Seca. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah never, I mean, I jumped on a bike I'd never yeah. ridden before that had dirt tires. I think no, yeah, dirt no, track those tires. are kind of flat track tires. Flat track tires. This bike with a hundred horsepower, flat track tires that weighs three hundred fifty pounds. 
it was uh, hundred foot, foot pounds of torque. It took it, it took a few like major rear wheel slides for me to realize I was riding a monster <laughs> and to just kind of take it easy. But it was a really really fun bike to ride. And then I rode the J sixty three the rest of the ride, which is through really narrow bumpy canyon roads like forty miles back to Carmel Valley, and I just rode it like total cafe racer, like it is, and had a blast. It was a little hard because the roads are. Yeah, those were. I mean, the, the, the suspension was a little hard because the roads are really, really rough. Yeah. But I had a blast, and I didn't throw it in the weeds, so it's all good. Unlike <laughs> someone else we know, we don't. We don't need to talk. Flash, about that. <laughs> flash forward to what? Yeah, forty-five minutes later, an hour later. So as I'm on the back of this GS, uh, David Edwards, right on the back of David Edwards GS, um, in a group of what? Maybe that was two hundred people or yep. so on this ride. I'd say I that's see fairly accurate. I see Alan come blowing past me in the opposing lane of traffic on the wrong side of a double yellow, running uh, at least 80, maybe 90 miles Wait, an hour. how is this different from our rides? It's pretty normal. Oh, I wasn't, I I wasn't surprised by <laughs> oh, this. You I just seem want, like it was crazy. I want people to understand what, what this is. So you blow past me, and then like little ducklings in tow, there goes Jonah, there goes Paul, and there goes Andy. <laughs> and <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, that was, that's you know, kind of ballsy. Although no oncoming traffic, you can see forever. No big There's deal. All these whatever. expensive old yeah. guy, old bikes and old guys. And then know. I I look down for like half a second, and then look up, and all I see is Andy's bike spinning down the road, and Andy's backwards on his toes and on his knees and on his hands, sliding at like seventy <laughs> miles an hour down the road with sparks shooting off this motorcycle. Granted, the motorcycle he's riding is like a sixty thousand dollar custom bike. I like that you called it Andy's bike. Uh, it's just the bike he's riding. Yeah, the Ducati. Right, yeah, the yeah. Ducati that the, he's riding. The bike that I'd been on for all of maybe five minutes at that point. <laughs> no, it had been 30 seconds. Right. We just it left. was so fast. Yeah. And uh, so he's just sliding down the road. And the part that I can still remember most vividly is as he's still sliding, he has not come to a stop yet. He's pounding his fists into the ground because he's <laughs> so pissed off. He already realized what's gone down, what's happened. And it's, it is not okay because he just crashed a really expensive toy. <laughs> But shockingly, it really wasn't damaged much. No, oh, amazing, no. Amazingly, it was like a brake lever, uh, a clip-on, well, and, and a he, peg. He needed to fix it himself, so it wasn't really that big of a deal. I actually had dinner with a guy who owns that. It was a year ago now, and I had dinner with him a few weeks ago and told him that that had happened. I'd forgotten to tell him. <laughs> he's a good friend. He's not just a client. He's a good friend and a client. And he, he laughed, too, because... Obviously, that's why he let us take it, knowing very good that we could fix it if we broke it. But that's my legal disclaimer. We don't just take all our customers' bikes and wreck them. Andy does. Andy does. But we don't. I, I have a I have a habit of throwing Ducatis on the ground. I we don't. We don't like to call it wrecking. We call that testing. <laughs> so I'm gonna. So I don't know how the format of this should go. And and for anybody that actually is ballsy enough to listen to this. I'm sorry. Ahead or of bored time. enough. Or bored enough. Yeah. If you got nothing in your life going on and you want to hear, I was going to say dumb. But. <laughs> Wait. Now we're self-deprecating Paul, which isn't really as our first guest. It's got nothing better to do but sit and watch us drink whiskey. Um, was that you know? Is, is the format going to be okay for Sponsored us? Sponsored by Jim Bean. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear a jingle. I want to hear a jingle. Dun, dun, dun. Sponsored by Jim Bean. Um, is is that should we're we totally going to make them pay for that? Yeah, should we call out? Should we call out other people's fuck ups in the group? No, no, no. No, that's no it should be nice. self admitted fuck up. Yeah, I think I'm looking at the beardy troll. He knows exactly. I'm going to bring it up again. Which one do you want to hear? I, I'll tell whatever story you want. <laughs> well, the one that's still my favorite, the Mazda, is just the, the <laughs> Mazda is the gift that keeps on giving to me. The yeah. It's, I don't know, Alan. That's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. All right. I'm starting high. How's okay. that? I'm st- instead of starting low, I'm starting high. St- Otherwise, let's just, I was, hold on. I was thinking about going with the CX500. For like, people that all right, for people that don't know who Stefan Hurdle is, the beardy troll, he uh, has a master's in mechanical engineering. That means he suffered through minimum six years of school, right? Yeah. To to be certified as a quote unquote master uh, with an understanding of mechanical engineering and. I think one of the things that you could probably say is the basis of of our world is that, well, with regards to engines, is that uh, friction causes heat and um, and therefore uh, needs to be lubricated, 
Would you say that's an accurate statement from a mechanical standpoint? Yeah, that's Mr. pretty Troll. good. Yeah, yeah. Metal, metal parts don't like to... Uh, Rub together. Yeah, especially, especially if you have yeah. a film of oil in between them. That's usually preferred. Right, okay. So so continue, with the, if you would now, uh, with the story about your, your Mazda. So I just moved down to Austin, and we had just started the, the shop, and very busy. I, I had a day job at this point, and was working something like 15, 16 hours a day by the oh, time it was all said and done. The disclaimers start early, you know it's going to be fucked up. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so pretty busy. I was driving my wonderful Mazda Protégé that I'd bought from new and the only owner and it never burned any oil and I never thought anything about it. This is just like this car. It was A to B transportation. You don't think about it. And I think you might be the only person in the history of the world to describe their Mazda Protégé as wonderful. Oh, they're great. <laughs> Tons of fun. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Um, anyway, so after driving this thing around for quite a while, I started to notice that it's sounding less and less like a gasoline engine and much more like a diesel engine. <laughs> but fortunately, I hadn't seen the oil light come on. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe like a knock sensor is going out or maybe they've just put too much ignition advance in it or maybe the injectors fouling and it's just leaning out or something stupid. I've got all these like really elaborate, like complicated, <laughs> like, like solutions to this problem. It's like, Oh, no big deal. It's a modern car. Like what could possibly it takes be? care of itself? So, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't need anything. So keep driving, keep driving, keep driving. And then finally I was taking a corner at a pretty good clip, you know, four wheel drift kind of thing. And I saw the oil lights just flash for a second. I was like, oh shit, I'm done. <laughs> I'm totally done. Pulled into a gas station immediately and uh, checked the oil. And of course, there's absolutely none on the stick. And so all of the noises that I'm hearing, the diesel sound that's coming from this engine is absolutely rod knock, like <laughs> without a doubt. Main bearings, no, all see, of it. I, you really left out the part that I find intriguing and fun is that is that you'd been telling me for weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? My, my Mazda's making weird noises. I think there might be something wrong with the engine. And the first thing out of my mouth is, did you check the oil? No, oh, it doesn't burn it oil. Doesn't, it doesn't no. burn oil. <laughs> and I, and I said... Car. You don't have to do that. Yeah, I yeah. said something to him that he said to me a million fucking times. I said, yeah, it doesn't burn oil until it does. And yeah. he was like, nah, nah, not it. And he texted me. He gave me a ride from the shop back to the house one night. And I said, yeah, it sounds like it's out of oil. Not definitely. That's not it. That's definitely not it. And I think it was a week later. He kept driving it to work. And anyway, so so what we didn't get into and what we forgot to talk about with with Andy, what we forgot to talk, talk about with Paul oh, yeah. was what did you what did you learn from this? Um, yeah, that one's pretty obvious because that was what we were supposed to right. be. That's the obvious one, and it's so easy, and it's such a good reminder to don't skip the simple stuff. Don't skip the obvious solution. If you've got a problem, if there's something going on, start with the most basic, elementary, easy thing first. Don't jump to this cockamamie, complicated, like elaborate, like, oh, maybe it's an electronic sensor that's doing this. No, 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 no. Start with something elementary and work up to the complicated. That was what I kind of took away from it. And uh, stop making assumptions. Another really valuable thing that came from that experience. Right, which you complain about quite often. Uh, yeah, with certain people who will remain nameless. That are not mechanical engineers in the room. True. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's, then let's back up. Paul, um, what would you learn about swastikas? Swastikas <laughs> in your life? Well. No, about, about your power. Uh, well, <laughs> first let's talk about swastikas. I mean... Remember, it was it was always okay, and it was always my my philosophy never to go negative, never to diss people. Like if I didn't have anything good to say about someone or something, don't say it. I'd say that's an accurate statement from the many hours I've spent with you. I've only ever heard you once truly spat off negative about someone, and there was had to be good reason for that. No, it definitely was. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, but also that. you know, symbols are really powerful. So that's you, it. Be, that's your use lesson. them carefully. What's that? Use that, them carefully. Well, just to respect. I mean, it was more to respect the uh, hmm, how much an impact and how much people really feel about certain things. You know, I mean, I already knew the impact of going neg because I had done it once or twice and had pissed some people off. You know, and uh, well, I'll say. You know, one other time, a journalist in Germany had told me over dinner, 
in Germany that uh, Norton Motorcycles, the new Norton Motorcycles, was bankrupt and that all of their suppliers had uh, stopped, had refused to give them any more parts or anything. And he said, you know, they're finished. And I said, you know, can you guarantee that? Do you know it's true? Can I say that? He says, yes, absolutely. I know it's true because they're someone, one of their suppliers told me and it was confirmed by one of their employees. I said, okay. And I published a very brief thing on my Facebook page about Norton Motorcycles. And it really pissed off Stuart Garner, the owner of, uh, of Norton's. And, uh, and they didn't go bust. They're still making bikes, you know. And uh, I had to eat a little crow and apologize. and uh, Publicly? Yeah. So I just, uh, you know, be a little more circumspect about stuff. I, Don't I, say negative yeah. stuff unless there's a really, really important reason. I'm struggle with that as you know i like to say exactly what i think publicly or privately either either one if you ask me what if you want to know what i think just ask because you get it but i'm uh, learning no, not only that you'll get it both barrels like straight in the face <laughs> well was i underplaying <laughs> my bluntness <laughs> Is it the blunt? well sometimes there's a place for it though like a, a, another example is uh I was asked by an English magazine called The Automobile, which I consider the best old car magazine in the world because they're really scholarly and do terrific articles. I did uh, two years in a row, I did reviews of the Pebble Beach Concourse. And the first year, I was really hammered home what a just the values that they that this event reinforced were I terrible i remember this yeah you know just <laughs> classism and covetousness and you know i just kind of went down the list of you know really is this really you know this is supposed to be a charity event and they sell over a hundred thousand tickets at four hundred dollars each you know even though the fire marshal says they're supposed to only have twenty thousand people there you know it's like <laughs> this open secret in 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 carmel in pebble beach and uh you know, so that was the first year I kind of brought all this stuff up. And the second year, I just went full bore and, and I called it, I wrote an article that I didn't think they would publish. I just really said how I, what I really felt about this event, that the, the judging was really suspect and, and they sold way too many tickets. In fact, I called it an overcrowded clusterfuck. And I didn't think they'd publish it, but the editor wrote back to me and he said, you know, this is the most honest piece we'll probably ever publish. And he published it word for word. And I've never gone back to Pebble Beach. And <laughs> <laughs> it pissed off a lot of people. But, you know, I didn't feel bad about that because I was telling the truth. You know, I was telling an honest account of my experience. So that was a little bit different than just, you know, going neg about something or publishing something that could offend a lot of people. Is that why you didn't want to meet me down there when I said, let's go this year? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm over it. Nah, I'm done, right? So there, I think there's there's still a difference between like going negative, uh, for lack of a better term, and just kind of telling it like it is. And it to me, it doesn't even really sound like you were going all that negative. You're just kind of calling a spade a spade and i was definitely calling fair. a spade a spade yeah but, some, but it was pretty negative yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think that some, can be that can be a fine line sometimes though because certain things can be interpreted as very negative you have to be careful with that. yeah the truth yeah the truth is negative it, it sometimes gets you that's why when you say i'm giving it double barrels i'm like i don't know i try not to color it too much with just my opinion <laughs> But maybe that's it. Stefan's looking at me like that's that's all <laughs> it is. Is your fucking <laughs> yeah, Andy? What'd you learn about uh, crashing a Ducati? Uh, well, I was gonna say the the most important thing that I learned from my last visit to the Quail was that uh, it's it's handy to have uh, ammo main jets. <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I you just want to gloss yeah. over that. Like, yeah. I, think, I think. How did you crash in a straight line, man? Great question, Paul. What do you have to say about this, Andy? I never asked you that. Okay, I don't want to sound like I'm making race car driver excuses, but it had to to do... I got it flat, right. It had to do with a a bike that had been race prepped that had only one brake light switch. And so uh, one of our mechanics, Jonah, was riding... Allen's Le Mans, which has been armor prepped and then half ass converted to back to street. And so 
he was on the brakes and he was on the front brake which doesn't have a brake light switch okay so you grabbed a handful and went I was gonna say, yeah, right. and, and it was it was a fuck up it was it was my fuck up uh i yeah but panicked. you're still not talking about what what you learned uh <laughs> like i said <laughs> absolutely it's, nothing it's, <laughs> it's handy to have <laughs> it's handy to have an ammo main jet and an ammo main jet holder what what andy learned was that denial is sometimes very <laughs> very big river yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no, not I, just a river well, i would say i i learned that uh i'm very good at throwing ducatis on the ground but i already knew that <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to do you want to do a quick tally? Who's thrown more Ducatis on the ground? You or me? I I've got two. That's it. I I, I think you have me beat, Stefan. Actually, if if you really want to, if you oh, really want to go got there beat, actually. on Ducatis specifically, Ducatis specifically. Yeah, the one that you I broke yourself on, on. That's that's right here, sitting next to me. By the way, yeah, that's mm-hmm. one. That's one. That one almost counts for two. Why? Because it's still a part, and that was like eight no, years ago. No, it was ago. rideable when it was done, when I when I got off of it, oh, after hold crashing on. it. Look, I don't have any fuck-ups, because I never fuck up. Well, so remind me, <laughs> what happened when you wrecked your Ducati? Oh, that's a that's actually a pretty good one. Um, yeah. so, this is actually hysterical. <laughs> Wasn't it yellow? Yes. Because, it was, in my, because so, when I see this in my brain, it's always yellow, which makes it much more asshole-ish. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah. friendly listener, what you need to know is we're talking about the classic... 900 Super Sport, bright yellow, Ducati. With right. with a 20... A 90s Super How old Sport. were you? How old were you? Uh, pro- at that point, I would have been 26, I oh, think. Okay. All right. So old enough to to should have known better, but Old, old enough to know better, didn't. but still young enough yeah. to be an asshole? Yes. <laughs> so uh, this is a 1997 Ducati 900 Super Sport SP, which is a limited edition, numbered, everything, etc., etc. I'm a college kid, uh, just finishing my undergrad, and yes, I was like almost 26 by that point because I had a lot of fun in the first four years. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was even in college, <laughs> and I graduated faster. <laughs> and so, being a broke a broke person, I managed to come up with this formerly crashed um, auction. Ducati 900 Super Sport and get it. That sounds like a motorcycle. Yeah, I think it's, I hear a motorcycle somewhere out there doing a burnout. But um, anyway, get this Super Sport, kind of cobble it back together enough to run and ride, and I'm pretty excited about it. Like I own a Ducati now, and I am someone that has a Ducati. This is a good thing. You're, you're, and you're cool at this point. Fucking a, was I? Yeah. So I'm coming back from my bullshit co- corporate job in the in a cube farm, and I'm dealing with traffic and all of that stuff and i'm living in minneapolis at this point and i come into town right into downtown i have my famous route or like my, my preferred route that just gets me through traffic i don't have to deal with it and heart of downtown all the big skyscrapers coming off the highway all this stuff and some guy pulls a left in front of me and i saw him he was about to do it it was going to be close he definitely didn't see me it was his mistake i was hard on the binders thankfully that bike has phenomenal brakes and yeah pull it to a stop with about six inches to spare. And in that case, six inches was enough. So I'm there and I'm furious because I've just been through traffic and I'm looking at this guy through his windshield and just staring him down. And it's like, rev the crap out of it on the horn, just making all this racket, just being obnoxious on this bright yellow Ducati. (laughs) And it's loud, it's got full open pipes, carbon silencers, all this crap. And the guy's standing there kind of sheepish, and he sort of, like, pulls away slowly, like, hey, sorry, kind of whatever. And I'm, like, still on the rev limiter and just dump the clutch. And I'd spent the last week riding my SV, and I hadn't reacclimated to the different power of the <laughs> 900. And it launches immediately into a full, like, 12 o'clock wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, now I'm doing probably 25 miles an hour in first gear at, like, middle of the of the torque curve on this bike standing on the rear wheel completely backwards about to loop the thing out managed to stomp on the rear brake shut it down and and bring the wheelie back down to the ground but when i hit the ground i wasn't prepared for that level of impact i've never launched a wheelie that high so i hit the ground and completely collapse onto the tank all my weight goes onto my hands wrong thing ring the throttle again now suspension is fully compressed 
<laughs> doing about 20, 30 miles an hour, and you're right in the middle of the power band, and the bike just launches full loop out, and it's a backflip. The back of the bike never touched the ground. It flips completely over, doesn't touch the tank, and just smashes upside down on the windscreen in the middle of downtown, in the middle of rush hour. And I sort of like slide to a stop and roll to the curb and hop up real quick, like you do, and pick the bike up because you do because that's what you do and then i turn around and i notice that this whole thing has gone down with a police officer right behind me a full (laughs) squad in uniform all of it and he casually rolls up right next to me rolls up window down on the passenger side he kind of leans across his car and he's like do you need anything i was like not from you sir thanks and he just like all right cool takes off so as i throw this bike down the street like ems or or defibrillator or a ticket the takeaway that i'm uh, that i'm getting from this is if you're going to loop a 90s 900 super sport do it in front of a squad car yeah but i also there's a minor detail in this whole thing that i've forgotten as I'm doing this, there's this lovely sidewalk cafe with the tables right up to the to the street, um, and I throw this bike through the intersection, and it is just careening to the middle of this, and it hits the curb and kind of stands up like it's about to flip into this crowd of people, and then settles down just before it goes over the top. Every single person on those tables grabbed their drinks, picked them up, and walked inside. It was ridiculous. Like, they were all just like, this is too crazy. I'm out of here, and just left. So, what did I learn from that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's get into that. Um, well, for all you new motorcycle riders, it is that your emotional state is extremely important when you're riding. I was super angry. Um, the traffic had gotten to me. I was not in a, in control of my, my headspace, and I let this arbitrary person who didn't matter and even avoided the crash. Like the, I'd already solved the real problem, which was this guy made a left in front of me and then proceeded to create my own new problem because I was so angry. So... You get control I, of your shit if you're going to get on a bike. You know what I just learned from this story, Paul? Engineers describe fuck-ups with a lot more syllables and descriptive <laughs> adjectives than I could ever accomplish. I mean, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't go into the fully compressed suspension, blah, blah, blah. I would just like, then I wrapped some throttle. It flipped over, and I was fucking hurt, you know? Like, <laughs> I feel like an idiot. I can't, I can't use that many words to describe anything. But it was accurate. Have, you need to have a complete and total understanding of what's happening. Just, Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Well, so I think the interesting thing is ask Stefan to describe his feelings. What, what are feelings? Crickets. <laughs> Crickets, crickets, crickets. <laughs> he just talked to you about his feelings. That's true. He just gave an elaborate uh, and eloquent <laughs> discussion on how your feelings affect your writing. Kumbaya, baby. That's right. <laughs> Do some yoga before you get on your bike. Like there get you go. get that zen. Get, get get the game face and <laughs> then hit it. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about. Well, I realize that I'm just putting you guys on the spot, and I'm not like talking about what I fucked up and, and you know I'm hard pressed to find anything I fucked up on because everything's just so precise and perfect you're so perfect oh there's so many things I did fail. you guys forget good looking too I mean come uh, on. sexy <laughs> Paul do you have anything to add to that how, how wonderful am I and your feet don't smell bad no I wash them all the time I'm, I'm quite fastidious about the personal hygiene was that enough syllables Stefan did I hit that could I have added more Obviously. All right. So, but you met specifications, so it's fine. So the truth is, there's so many fuck ups. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about if we talk about some success? No, no, come on, no, no, no. Come on, we've all we've all done. I this. want you to confess to your success. In I want to. I want. Come on. I want an Alan fuck up story. Oh uh, well, come we on. can have that then. There's but so still. many. I actually, it's the opposite yeah. of what I said. There's so many. I'm like, which one's interesting? Because they're they're all so obvious and boring. You know, I, I think about the things I did as a kid. I think about the things that, that I did oh. with my brother. What? I think I think you need to confess to one of your most recent fuck-ups. Oh, God. Was it today? No. Oh. Because <laughs> I like to say around the shop, there's no way in hell anybody here fucks up as much as I do. It involves a trailer. That's not true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually... That's almost a mystical story, which, which you know, like... Yeah. It involves subconscious and dream states. Yeah, and... it does. It does. And I don't really believe in that shit most of the time. But, yeah, so, so Paul, I, I had a dream. I think it was 
last Friday night. So so a week and a half ago. Yeah, it would have been last yeah, Friday last night. Last Friday night. Um, Andy remembers he was there with me. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I had this dream that I had um, uh, was driving our big Sprinter bus with the trailer on it and uh, that it came off and, and, and killed someone. Ooh. On the no, highway. This, this is dream state at this right. point. This is dream, dream state. Dream, dream. Right. I dreamed this, and 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 it kind of rocked me. And you know, I think it's because I I obsess about worrying about things people in the shop or or, or here at revival might do that I could be responsible for. And it, and, I, and so internally, I was like blaming other people. I don't know. Anyway, it, it was it was it was fucked up. And and the next morning, I came to work uh, Saturday morning. Uh, to do something and oh i was i was going to drive out to pick up some motorcycles from a client with the van with the van and i came in and 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 went to walk down towards the van and i looked down and the oh wait we get to talk about one of andy's fuck-ups while i tell my story about how i fucked up i like this this is a good fuck-up story (laughs) thanks Stefan. it's a bonus it's a a bonus fuck-up so by the way uh this podcast will be rated r uh there will be lots of beeps in here anyway so so i i uh i looked down and the um trailer hitch in the receiver i just it just caught my eye for some reason i guess stefan had talked about it earlier because andy was having issues with the truck or it hurt his leg on the receiver hitch i I had actually i'd actually smashed my foot yeah you'd fucked up yeah so Well, well you'd fucked up that first time for the day by smashing your foot against the trailer hitch yes right so as i walked by i glanced down at the trailer just thinking about it and i walked all the way past the van before i was like something didn't click in that visual i come back i look down at the trailer hitch and i was like there's no pin holding it into the receiver now and i've got my hands full actually i'm like no that, that can't be true and i looked down and i was like maybe the pins behind it i don't remember this it's been a while since i've looked at this thing i grab the trailer ball i pull it out it hits the floor I just touch it. It hits the ground. And it's one of those with three with, with the three balls on it. So it weighs like fifteen pounds. Cast iron. Or not cast iron, but steel. And um and I lose my shit. You know, I'm I'm yelling, I'm so mad. How could this have occurred? Who did this? I'm screaming out loud, who did this? I'm about outside by myself. I come inside and I hunt it down, figure out it was Andy. Andy had couldn't find the key for the locking pin. Well, cut it off well actually to go back to stefan's point it was is it was a i cut it off in a fit of rage so oh, well great so to do with in your emotional state exactly you've cut off the pin left the receiver on the van and gone home oh and gone home and so, didn't tell anybody and didn't tell anybody so i'm having a fit of of seeing red mist and stefan comes outside i'm like fucking fuck fucking fuck, who the fuck does this and he tells me who did it or who we think did it, or whatever, and 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 and, and I had been, fuck, 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 could, when I was cutting it off. So yeah, great. So so I leave. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't really care. Yeah. So I leave. I get in the van. I go to Georgetown. I pick up these all these expensive motorcycles, and I come home. And then the next morning, I need to take the van again to go out to pick up stuff, and I need to hitch the trailer up to the van. And I hitched the trailer up to the van w- using uh, Tim to help me out. And Jenna, my wife, is in the car, and I'm trying to make this short story short. I, I hitched the, you know, we've got this big uh, bicycle, uh, motorcycle yeah, hauler that's a twin axle twin enclosed axle. trailer, like yeah. pretty okay. big trailer. There you go. More, more. Can you give some more av- adjectives to describe? I think it's about 17 feet. Yeah, 17 <laughs> feet. How, how many? Uh, how many thousand pounds yeah, do you think that thing weighs? Uh, it should be rated to at least 4,000 pounds. Right. And and is what that, kind is of that gross vehicle weight or? Uh, that's net. Yeah, gross and, is probably going to be closer to six. What kind of impact <laughs> do you think that would? What, how many people do you think that could take out on the highway at 80 miles an hour? All of them. A- approximately 126 <laughs> kilometers per hour. <laughs> kilometers okay yeah. um, kph anyway he'll go all day because he, he, you never made it to 126 kilometers so, per hour because you don't have 1.21 gigawatts yeah. but you did make it about a block and a half from the shop i get a block and a half from the I'm shop so happy you can do the math on that in your head Stefan. the first yeah. time i hit the gas on the on the on the bus i hear this like fucking violent jerk and the trailers come off the hitch and and then, of course, when I tap my brakes, because I'm like, oh, shit, oh, no. we lost it. The trailer rams into the back of the bus. Um, and Jenna's looking at me like, oh, my God, what the fuck just happened, right? And I pull over, 
dragging the trailer by its safety chains and realized that I'd not seated the trailer on the ball, which is the first time in my entire life that I've, that I've ever done anything like that. Uh, but I'm convinced that it had something to do with the dream <laughs> that occurred Friday night. Well, this, that this gets I, into the cause-effect thing. Now, did the dream cause this to happen, or did, did this happen because your brain preconceived bullshit. it? Who's right? going to listen like, to this? I don't know. I, I have no fucking clue. I just know that it was a strange couple days that that I realized that it, had I not been at least smart enough to hook up the safety chains, yeah, I could have really hurt someone. And uh, that's why you hire Revival Cycles for their precision uh, <laughs> teamwork. Because uh, this will never happen to you. We'll never do anything like that. <laughs> we never screw up. No. It, it, and then what did I learn from that? It's that, you know, the habits that, I, that I've, that i I guess, uh, amassed over years I do, need not be ignored. Because I normally know the rule, and that is my father taught me, just because someone else, uh, you know, latched the trailer to your bus doesn't mean anything. You got to get out and check every single time, twice, what, what someone else does, and it was my fault completely. So anyway, that's all. Um, that and that trailer was really heavy. Stefan had to come help me lift it onto the onto the bus. I'm stuck in front of a jack in a box, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think the part that of the story that you you did kind of miss on this is that. This is all going down during Texas relays, and so there is a constant stream. <laughs> Stephen, this is Stephen, This is colored on, by Stefan. Can you please, please describe Texas relays for those people who don't no, know what Texas relays are? I would are prefer. Are yeah. I think somebody else needs to do that. Ste- I think Paul would be the guy to describe that. <laughs> Especially since I'm not. I don't live here. I don't yeah. know what a Texas relay is. It's a big weekend for big, big wire wheels on uh, lots of dubs, cars. Dubs. Dubs. I, I, I think that there's an actual event that has to do with athletics uh, and they're going to do some track and field. field. Yeah. But for some reason that I'm not completely familiar it's, with. It's morphed into a car show. Yeah. And it's like all the kind of crazy scrapers and hoopties and Big whatever box. else. What like, are they called? Yeah. I don't know. I don't actually know. I I know Swangers, nothing about this wor- world. Donks. Yeah. Donks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you're from San Francisco. Do you know what we're talking about? We're so of white course. right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Donks so, in the city. We got Alan, Alan decides he's going to drop this trailer in the middle of Airport Boulevard, which is not that far from our shop. But it's four lanes of 50-mile-an-hour traffic. Show, man. And it is this rolling nonstop car rolling car show of, like, these Lambo door caprices and, like, all this stuff with, like, Skittles Caddies. painted on it and hydraulics. Sounds it's like awesome. Yeah, lowriders and Con- giant kits. 26-inch wheels and all this crazy stuff. So while we're trying to deal with this trailer in the middle of the day, in the middle of this traffic of all these crazy cars driving around with boom and bass, that was the part that I thought was so funny. It's like, what is going on? What what surreal universe do we live in where this happens? (laughs) It's a dream become real. Yeah. I don't know that this is going the direction I wanted it to go. (laughs) I really wanted to learn more from Paul from this as our guest. And, and, so, so you're and, telling us to shut up? <laughs> no, I just I just mean that I don't think that anything I had to say was truly all that meaningful to anybody that's listening outside of. I mean, if we start getting into technical discussions with Steph and it turns into something useful, or or, or, or you know, design discussions with uh, Andy, uh, you know, then something useful can come out to it to people that are listening. But I really want to know more about Paul and and what Paul has learned because I do know this. I learn something every time I hang out with you, whether it's your knowledge of the history of motorcycles or whether it's your knowledge of the people involved, you know, like I, I got th- music, fashion, music, history, sex, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul and I spent um, swimming in my head. Paul and I spent two and a half weeks uh, on the road uh, uh, doing the cannonball on a, on a rough superior what a year and a half ago. And I learned about a lot about Paul, but there's still more, you know, I know there's more that you can teach us about motorcycling and I, I guess I would encourage everybody to go to if you don't know the vintageit.com you must you must know because occasionally I get caught down the rabbit hole of all these of all these articles that he's written and 963 today oh, and 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 you'll you know it's it's in this it's in the blog spot right or is it what's the blogger just.com the vintageit.com yeah. yeah but the format oh, yeah, I, I, mean, used to, yeah. I used I'm too lazy to swap out to another hipper Blog I liked your April Fools thing so the other day would about. You, would you consider it to be like a vintage blog? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's good. It's, a, it's like, like our super vintage. Mi- it's ten years old. 
I think that almost in qualifies. In September, it's ten years old. We have That's vintage CNC rad, machines. Yeah. What what does vintage qualify for? Isn't it usually twenty? I think so. blog. No, I think blogger is in the tech world. That's right. That's ten right. years is ancient history. Well, all I, I, yeah. I was trying to say was the way that format is set up. You can see the history and the other the other stuff that he's done, and so it leads you down this rabbit hole uh, of knowledge. And then I'll be three, four, five articles in, and then I'll remember, oh yeah, I know this guy. This guy <laughs> knows all this stuff. And I'm not learning this from him when I'm hanging out. I'm not asking him enough questions when we're, we're around him. And that was the reason I realized, oh, my God, Paul's going to be there. We have to do something with him. <laughs> so, you know, maybe some of the stuff gets edited out earlier about all the bullshit uh, sophomoric <laughs> mistakes that we made. But I'd really love to know what I, I if we're going to go past the topic, what the hell got you to do this instead of getting a real job, Paul? <laughs> I did have a real job when I started doing it. Yeah, it was so it was just your hobby, like the rest of us. It was a hobby, yeah. Well, no, it was more than a hobby. So, I mean, I got s- crazily into vintage bikes in about 1984. I'd already been riding for about five years at that point. And, uh, yeah, like, we really rapidly became this all-consuming virus, you know, this obsession and why? I, I don't even know. I mean, I can say the qualities of vintage bikes that attracted me, you know, their aesthetics and their just the beauty of the engines and the castings and the machinery and the design aesthetic. And, and then I got really interested in the history, you know, the stories about the people who were involved. And, and that led it. It's like I consider anything that you're really interested in a hologram of everything else because everything is involved in in let's take motorcycles for example you know so if you're talking about a motorcycle just as 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 an example let's talk about a a 1965 bmw r26 okay a little single cylinder bmw well why did they make that bike you know what's the history of the bmw single cylinders that nobody's really thought of and then you could get into well like who funds bmw and what's bmw's history and what did they do in World War II and who were their designers and what were their opinions on the Nazis? And so, you know, and then you get into George Meyer, who was the first European to win the Isle of Man Senior TT. And I know a guy who was really good friends with George Meyer. And I mean, talk about a rabbit hole. That's just how I think. It's like everything leads to everything else. And like a, a motorcycle, you can get into politics. You can talk about racing. You can talk about culture, you know. Why, yeah. why does a BMW look like a BMW? And then you talk about the Bauhaus. I'm an artist. I trained as an artist, so arts are super interesting to me. And I know a, f- a fair amount about the history of art. And so that I would say that's probably an understatement, Paul. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, he's trying I, to be coy. To I a bring a lot of that to yeah. bear to to yeah. my writing. It's like all that my understanding of architecture and art and and design and and politics is sort of all you know it all it all works i just see everything is connected to everything else and and i guess that's why people find my writing interesting because it's well it's it, i'm not just interested in motorcycles in fact the most boring conversation in the world to me is when someone comes up and here's a good warning to not come up to me and start talking about your next motorcycle wow i really want to get a 1965 norton atlas my mind is like gone because that's the least interesting thing about this conversation. You know, if you want to talk about Norton's history or maybe the way it feels when you ride a feather bed and why is that? Or maybe you, even why you want to get a 1964 Norton Atlas. That too, instead right. of just kind of masochist you are at that point. <laughs> well, I've owned five Norton Atlases, so <laughs> I, you know, but that's just an example. I mean, I, don't, I actually don't mind getting super, super technical. Right. And that's, I find that's that the other thing. Not only do you have the history of kind of, what the like geopolitical landscape was around all of these in individual models of bikes, but you also have the technical detail of like, well, that was the first double overhead cam, or this was the first, you know, side valve, whatever. And this is the first one that had a real carburetor. The amount of like technical knowledge is just in, immense. And yeah, but see, I have my, I mean, we, we were talking about this earlier. I think it's like, there's someone you always look to like, no, no, I'm not that guy. Kevin Cameron's that guy yeah. for me, you <laughs> yeah, know, right. Who can write eloquently about the molecular activity of, you know, fuel atomization and sound waves, you know, <laughs> well, how exhausts exceed the speed of sound in a, in a megaphone chamber and what that does to the, you know, the ignition timing and, 
that stuff fascinates me. <laughs> but I like, I yeah. like, you know, I have tons of respect for people like that who are just such ultra geeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's part of the reason we've kind of embraced the fact that we're moto nerds is that this has become vintage motorcycling and motorcycling in general has become, I think, much much more of a hip thing in the last what five five to ten years, really. Yeah, I've seen a lot of waves. Uh, you know, like so in the mid '80s when I was really getting into uh, vintage bikes, there was actually a huge cafe racer movement around the world. Actually, I can't say it's huge, but um, in San Francisco, in London, in New York, probably a few other places—Paris, uh, Berlin—there were there was like a real resurgence in ca- interest in old school cafe racers, and that's. I was riding a Norton Atlas and then a Veloset Thruxton at the time and had started a, a club called the Road Holders, a little cafe racer club. <laughs> totally unbeknownst to me, there was a club in London called the Mean Fuckers doing exactly <laughs> the same thing. We were all ex-punk rockers or, you know, semi-reformed right. punk rockers who got into bikes and got into, you know, the whole leather thing. It was like a very short sideways step on, from what's, what's the whole leather thing i i don't know about this oh it, you're gonna turn this into it one protects of those you when you're riding <laughs> oh, okay okay like that every thing. every i just, just want to clarify gp racer still wears about. leather and not kevlar <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway that that was fascinating you know there was this moment let's say between 84 and about 1990 when there was like a big resurgence and there's several great books were written about cafe racers um, if you look them up about the the original Ace Cafe and stuff, and and then it went dormant, and we all moved on to other things. I didn't really move on to anything because I just kept playing with old motorcycles. But like in my club, you know, one of one of the club members was Rob Tolui, who was getting his physics degree at UC Berkeley at the time and racing as Norton Commando. Well, hey, he's the head of Mercedes Benz Formula One now. And yeah. <laughs> and also just because this world is kind of crazy small, that Norton Commando, I've worked on when it ended up handing down to one of my buddies, and that's how I ended up meeting Rob, and then that's how I ended up working on his for, his his project after that, the Tolaris, right? And all this kind of stuff. And I didn't know you work with Rob. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. Like this world is tiny. Is yeah. so tiny. Yeah. But, but also it's huge. Yeah. So. The first right? time, the first time I hung out with with Paul again, it was that Delano thing, and I'd gone to that deal with um, with Sam Lovegrove, right? Mm-hmm. That was my first indoctrination into the the world of Paul, and um, <laughs> and you know we did the we did the we, world of Paul. Oh God, <laughs> you know I already knew about the vintage, but I didn't know about Paul. You know it was very different, really, to me. And we hung out, and I thank you for pointing out that they are two different things. They are really. We had this discussion at the handbuilt show. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I was the vintage for ten hours, and now I can just sit around and be Be Paul. Paul. (laughs) Yeah, and we can make ass, you know, assy jokes, and it doesn't matter at all. And 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 I sat there. I think we were at. um, uh, Not that it matters that much, but we were at that party, the after party thing at. Double RL. Right. And and you and I and Sam were sitting in a cafe or something. And suddenly you and Sam locked on because Sam Lovegrove is, is, our, is our very good friend in England who really changed the course of, of my life by inspiring me to want to not go back to work. He, here's this guy, you know, kind of working in a shed very, very quietly and secretly on, on very, very expensive priceless motorcycles with his hands dirty and vines growing out of the wall. And I was concerned about, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. So... He gets me involved in this thing, and I meet Paul, and we sit there, and I listen to Sam and Paul go off for an hour and a half speaking in words I don't understand. And I think I'm a motorcyclist just because I've done it for 30 years or at the time. I thought I knew about motorcycles. And I listened to you and Sam, and I was like, I don't know a fucking thing. <laughs> I, and, and I remember being extremely jealous of, of, of Sam and you being able to connect about that, about the vintage stuff, the pre-war right. stuff that I didn't really, I appreciated. I'd had a pre-war bike, but it was the M20, which is the most ubiquitous pre-war. Made 50,000 of <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, right. There's so, they're at the bottom of the ocean, right? There's so <laughs> many of these things. And, um, and I've learned a bunch since then, but I think that what's, what keeps this interesting for me, and I, I'm certain uh, for the entire Revival team, especially Stefan and Andy and I, is that it's new. Is that every day we learn something new. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, stuff that came way, way before us. And hanging out this weekend with Galuzzi, 
and Miguel Galuzzi. Miguel Galuzzi, which if if you don't know who that is, you need to Google it and, f- and, and he find designed out. the Ducati monster. His Among biggest claim, things. his biggest claim to fame, not not to mention the fact that he's an, an super an, nice guy, super super nice, knowledgeable guy. I had a great conversation with him today at the track about the future yeah. hand built show and the future of motorcycling. We should get no into shit. that probably. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> out at the, out at Coda. Yeah. yeah, he sat here with me in my office, and I was just rocked that he was even standing here over the drawing table talking to me about uh, what drives him towards design. But realizing what you don't know, the further we go, the further I know what we don't know and what is new, but knowing all the ideas that came before us and him sitting here and saying to us, you know, I'm, I'm envious that you guys can do what you do so quickly mm-hmm. because you're limited to this one thing. Whereas everyone else has to move on to to the realities of production in, in, in a field that he's in. Anyway, just just the getting to know what we don't know and getting to learn something new is what keeps us going. And it's guys like Paul that keep showing us the way. That's it. Thanks, Paul. By showing the past, yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah giving it context. is the past. It is, it, is, <laughs> it is a reference to the past that yeah. shows us the way towards towards hopefully having something to do with the future well, of it and so so you're not doomed to repeat it <laughs> right i think that's the idea and, I, and, I, and what i said to him when he was here was i you know i'm going to spend some time in california over the next coming months is that i'd like to sit down with you and just continue to pull knowledge out of you because he's he's com- perfectly willing to share it and give it to us and i think that's the reason i wanted you to sit down with us today was to say thanks and, and thanks for sharing it thank you your compulsion towards learning <laughs> Has really meant a lot to a curious to all mind of us. is a good thing to have. Keep you interested in everything in a fantastic Never fashion born. sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that helps. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, on that on, note, on that note <laughs> Paul, um, I, I think we should just make a, a an annual thing of this. Is that every year we sit down and talk a little more until until we can't okay. anymore? Yeah, sounds good. Is it is it a deal? done pinky swear deal all right all right thanks guys we'll see if we might do this again